Okay, so today's daf is hey in Sukkah. We are on Dalit Amudbet. We are uh, five lines from the, uh, or six lines from the bottom of Dalit Amudbet. So that everyone agrees upon. There's no disagreement that ten Tfachim is the minimum height of a Sukkah. The question is, where does this come from? Minalan, where do we get this from? Itmar, it was stated as follows. Rav, Rabbi Chanina, Rabbi Yochanan, Rav Chaviva. Four, of ra- four rabbis, okay, matnu, they taught the following. And it says, Says, by the way, incidentally, it's a, uh, um, it's a rule that anytime you see these four rabbis together, Rav, Rabbi Chanel, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Chaviva, that uh, some switch out Rabbi Yochanan and put in Rabbi Yonatan. But either way, it's all four, four rabbis said the following. Aron tefach. That the Aron in the Beit Hamikdash, the Ark was nine Tfachim tall. The Kapor Tefach and the Kapor was ten Tfach. It was uh, was one more Tefach. Harikanasara, and we know that the Aron went on the ground. So that means that it was ten Tfachim. The top of the Aron was uh, meaning the Kapor. The cover of the Aron was ten Tfachim off from the ground. So that's ten Tfachim. Uchtiv and it says It says that Hashem is going to meet with Moshe Rabbeinu and speak to him from the top of the kaporet, from the top of the cover of the Aron. Vitanya and it says that actually the Shechina never came down to earth, so to speak, and um, and uh, and Moshe and Eliyahu never went all the way up to Shemayim. Right, the heavens belong to Hashem and the land belongs to human beings. How could you say that the Shekhinah never came down? Right, so whenever it says that the Shekhinah came down, it means only we're leaving a distance of ten Tfachim. In other words, ten Tfachim is the definition of a space which is distinct. So therefore, when it says that the Shekhinah never came down, it means it never came down lower than ten Tfachim because the Kaporet is ten Tfachim high. Right, meaning the Aron is ten Tfachim off the ground, and that's where the Shekhinah rested, but never lower than that. How could you say that Moshe and Eliyahu never went up to heaven? It says Elohim, then Moshe Rabbeinu went up. There were still ten Tfachim between him and the highest point, so that's considered to be that he didn't go all the way up. What about the fact that Eliyahu went up in a storm to heaven? Again, there were ten Tfachim separating him from that top point, so that shows you that he didn't go up. So this is trying to show you that it basically, the basic drasha is that since since you see the Shekhinah comes down and rests on the Aron, and the Aron is ten Tfachim, if you're counting from the Kaporet, which is one Tefach higher than the Aron, the Aron is nine Tfachim, and the one extra Tefach is the Kaporet. If that's where the Shekhinah is resting, it's resting ten Tfachim off the ground, because it says, Shamaim, Shamaim, Hashem, Adam, that Hashem Shekhinah never goes all the way to the ground. That's how we see the ten Tfachim is considered a distinct space. Okay, and so too, going up, Moshe and Eliyahu going up, so to speak, there's always ten Tfachim separating them from the highest point. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor, this is not literal, but it's trying to derive a halacha from this concept. What about this? This is a pasuk from Iov, actually, but it's interpreted to refer to a story which they don't spell out totally here, but basically the story in the uh, Agadot is, is spelled out, in, it's spelled out in, in other contexts that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to, uh, went up to heaven and, uh, and, and the Malachim were opposing him and they said, what is this human being doing here and why is he coming to get the Torah? Tell him to get out of here. And, they try, they, and, uh, and, and Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, answer them, whatever their questions are. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm afraid to. So he said, hold on to the Kisei Kavod and you'll be okay. So it's the Me'achez, 
When it says Meaches Pnei Kisei, it means Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, holding on to the uh, Kisei HaKavod. And Pashez HaRabbana know that Hashem spread Va'amar Rebbe Tanchum. That's where that comes from. Milamed Shepirish Shaddai Miziv Shekhinato. That means that Hashem sep- uh, spread out His Shekhinah and he made it like a cloud over him. In other words, Hashem protected Moshe from the attacks of the Malachim. Now, this is a drash, but the idea is that it's again trying to say that we have many midrashim, we have many agadot that indicate that suggest that Moshe Rabbeinu went all the way up to the top floor. And that, you know, so how could you say? So it says again, again, um, that's all, there were still ten tvachim separating him. What about the fact that it says? Um, that he grabbed onto the Kisei Kavod. How could that be with ten Tvachim? He must have very long arms. No, What it means is that Hashem extended the Kisei Kavod downwards so that he could reach it. Now, obviously, this is all metaphor and, and, and some kind of symbolism, so we're not going to go into that. But the main point is that it's saying, the main point, really, is that it's saying that since the Shekhinah comes down over the Kaporet, and the Kaporet is ten Tvachim off the ground, that shows you that that ten Tvachim space is a, is a distinct space, and that the distinct space is why it can come down without violating the idea of Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem, Be'aretz, and Atan, Adam. But all these other drashot about Moshe Rabbeinu grabbing onto the Kisei HaKavod and everything, obviously this is a symbolic, has a symbolic meaning that's deeper than that. In any case, Now we know that the Aron is nine Tfachim tall because it says it's Amma Vachetzi Komato. It says that it's an Amma and a half in height and an Amma is six Tfachim. So therefore, six and a half Tfachim, I mean, uh, one and a half, tfach, uh, one and a half amot is, is going to be nine tfachi, right? And ela kapor tefach minalan. But you're also assuming another thing. You said that the aron is nine tfachim and the kaporet is one tefach. That makes ten. But where'd you get that the kaporet is one tefach? It never actually says that. It talks about the length and the width of the tef, uh, of the kaporet, obviously, because it has to fit on the aron. But it never says the thickness of the kaporet. It does not explicitly state it, right? Detani Rebbe Chanina kol akelim shasa Moshe natna ben Torah midat orkam umidat uchban umidat komatan. Because Rabbi Hanina pointed out that all of the vessels that Moshe Rabbeinu made for the Mishkan, the Torah gave us the length, the width, and also the height, meaning the thickness of it, the height of it. Kaporet midat 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 The Torah does not tell us a height for the kaporet. In other words, we're just guessing that it was a tefach. How do you know it's not a half a tefach? How do you know it's not a third of a tefach? How do you know it's not razor thin? It never says the thickness of it. So say ulemad mi So where do we get the idea that it was a tefach tall? Because you learn from the least of the kelim. Because it says that around the shulchan there is a sort of a frame. There's a sort of a piece that hangs, you know, either extends upward or hangs down, depending on what, what you how you interpret it. But there's like a ledge attached to the shulchan. It says it's a tofach saviv. It is one tefach. So malalan tefach, afkan tefach. The smallest thing that's measured in the mishkan is a tefach, which is the misgeret. The misgeret is like a frame that goes around the shulchan around the edge of the shulchan, the table, and that, and it's a tefach. So since that's the minimum measurement, so we assume that so too, the kaporet is also a minimum of a tefach. That's where they're learning it from. Why can't you learn from a kli itself? In other words, you're learning from the misgeret. The misgeret is not a, a, a thing in its own right. The misgeret is only a, 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 the lip of another vessel. Why are you learning it from there? Why don't you say what's the smallest actual independent vessel in the, in the Beit HaMikdash? Why are you using the misgeret? which is in and of itself only a, an adornment of another vessel. The answer is the famous saying of the Gemara, which is when you grab too much, you get nothing. 
Right? When you grab a little bit, you get something. In other words, meaning that if you go, that when you have a, when you have a matter of degree and you don't know how far to go, if you go too far, you end up with zero. If you go a little bit, so okay, you didn't go the furthest you could have, but you don't have any proof to justify. So Tosfot actually discusses on the, discusses here, I think it's on the next uh, daf, right? He discusses what does that mean, tafasta mugbelo tafasta. No, it's, it's all over. I don't know if this, this is probably not the first time. It's written, it's written in some places. Uh, what, like what? Bigger? What? What a kli would have been? What? The tefach? Yeah. Well, he's, it's saying, like, why not take, like, an ama or something else? Oh, it's like a full, uh, full thing. So we don't want to go that far. So Tosfot says the reason is because the burden of proof is on the person who wants to add more. So if I can find that the first level of, let's say, when it says yamim rabim, it says many days. So yamim is two. Yamim rabim, the, mo- the minimum is three. To say many days is three. Because if I say it's five, okay, so where'd you get five from? It comes arbitrary. Right, so that's that's the uh, that's what it means. Tafasta mobelo tafasta. Meaning, if you start, you don't have a basis for going further than the minimum. Right, so we go for the minimum and say the kapor was a tefach. If it was a tefach, that means that the total height from ground to top of the aron is going to be ten tefachim. Okay, even they left me tzitz. What about the tzitz? We have the tzitz, the headband of the coin gadol. Titania says nabrayta tzitz domek imintas shulzav because we know that it was like a golden band that went across the forehead of the coin gadol. Right, and rochav shteitzvaot umugav. And it was, it was, it had a width, in other words, from the width meaning from top to bottom here, right, of two etzbaot, two finger breadths, okay? And it, it went from ear to ear across his head. And it had two lines of writing, Yud it had Hashem's name above. The Kodesh Lamed Milamata and Kodesh Lit on the bottom. In other words, the way that it worked was that um, the way that they, that they explain it that makes the most sense is that they didn't want Hashem's name to be below anything on the seats. So they always they raised it higher and they put the word Kodesh Lit. Really, it's supposed to say Kodesh Lashem, right? That's what it says in the Torah. It's supposed to say. So what they did was, if you look, that Hebrew is written from right to left. So therefore, on the right side, it would say Kodesh and Lamed, but lower. And then the word Hashem was to the left, but higher. So it was in the right order, just that they raised the name of Hashem up high. Okay? So they, but, that's what, but the point is not to discuss the design of the tzitz, but, to design the, but really just the size of it. Rabbi Eliezer Barbiosi said, I saw it in Rome. There were not two lines. It was just one line. And it said Kodesh Hashem on one line. Fine. That, that's a machloket about how it's supposed to be written. But the main point is that it was two etzbaot in its width. Why don't we say two etzbaot of the kaporet instead of saying an entire tefach? Two etzbaot is obviously smaller than a tefach. It says, Danin That's different because there's a difference between a kli, a vessel of the Beit HaMikdash, and an adornment, a piece of jewelry, so to speak, that's worn by the Kohen Gadol. That's a different thing. It's not the same thing. So we're not going to compare it. When they left me zero, what about the zero? Zero zahav is a... Um, that the zer is something that's added to the misgeret. In other words, you have the misgeret on the shulchan, which is this lip that goes around the shulchan. It's kind of a, a ledge. And then you have also zer zahav saviv, a little like adornment on that. We also have like a little uh, crowns on there, little additional designs. So why don't we go by that? So, so uh, he says, no, and we said, that that zir was a, was a tiny amount. It had no measurement. So why don't we say the same thing about the kaporet? It could be a razor thin kaporet. How do you know that's not a razor thin? So the answer is because because that is not a kli in its own right. That's kli, meaning that's just a in uh, a, a decoration of another thing. We'll look... What? 
the, the crown that go on the misgeret itself is just a decoration of the misgeret, which itself is just a part of the shulchan. It's not in and of itself its own entity. In other words, the point is that it, it doesn't have its own status, its own identity. So we get the idea of a tefach from the misgeret because the misgeret is something that the Torah describes as being a separate item that is added to the shulchan that has a misgeret. But then, you, but you can, we're not going to learn from the we're not going to learn from the decoration of the misgeret that has a little decoration that we're going to say, oh, that's the smallest kli in the mishkan. It's not a kli. That's just a that's just a decoration. We're not going to learn from there. We're not going to learn from the jewelry of the kohen gadol either, right? So rather, so misgeret So what about the misgeret? The misgeret itself is also just a, a, a piece, a part of the Shulchan. It says, no, that's because misgarto lemataita. The misgeret was below. So there's actually a machloket. How did the misgeret look? Did the misgeret look like a, basically you had a flat Shulchan and the misgeret came down, right? So in other words, if it was under, in other words, the Shulchan rested on the misgeret. Right? Did the shulchan rest on the misgeret? And the misgeret was what connected the legs one to another. And then the shulchan rested on the misgeret. It was a flat thing. It rested on the misgeret. Or no, the misgeret actually came up. It was like a, uh, like a pool table. You know, basically, you know, it had a flat surface. And then there was something that came up around the sides. Right? So if you say that it was below, so then you could say that it actually had a function in, the, in terms of the shulchan. Because the shulchan, the flat part of the shulchan actually rested on it. So then you would say that it's, uh, it's actually not a hechsherkli. It's actually a core part of the shulchan. Right? That's good for the one that says that it's below. But according to the one that says that the misgeret came up. So it's really just a decoration. It's not really necessary. It's just part of the design to make it look fancy. It's not really a part of the... It doesn't really hold anything or offer any support to the shulchan. Right? So, right? so then it's also and we're back to the drawing board because we can't learn it. We just said that you can only learn it from the smallest independent item that is created. If you say that the misgeret is something which is an independent item that is attached to the shulchan and functions as part of the shulchan but is in, in, has a function in its own right, fine. But if it's just decorative, we're not going to learn from there. So what are we going to do now to get our tefach? So it says, no, So he said a very good answer. He said, basically, the smallest thing that the Torah says the size is the miscarriage. Because the Torah doesn't say the size of the tzitz. We just have a tradition what it is. And the Torah doesn't say the size of the zer, the crowning that goes around the miscarriage. It doesn't say the size. We're just saying it was mashu, it was a small amount. But it doesn't say that in the Torah. The smallest measurement the Torah recognizes is tefach. So we're taking the smallest measurement that the Torah says, and we're using that to assume that that's what the kaporet was, it was a tefach. So that would mean that from the bottom of the aron to the top of the kaporet, not including the kurvim, obviously, that go higher than that, but from the bottom of the aron to the top of the kaporet surface is going to be ten tefachim then, because you're going to have the nine tefachim of the aron plus the one tefach of the kaporet, and we learn that the kaporet is one tefach because that's the smallest measurement of anything mentioned in the construction of the mishkan, so we go by the minimum that we can assume. That's the, that's the first answer. That goes inside the Choshen. That's, we don't know what it looked like even. We don't know anything about it. It doesn't say, the Kohen Gadol's garments, it doesn't say much about the design. Some parts it does, but not much. Not, I mean, it does with some, but not, uh, not, not a tefach or smaller measurement, only larger. It's the only one that doesn't mention the height of it. Yeah, it's only one. That's what it said before. That I don't know, but yeah. 
that that I don't know. There, there's. I think they give like uh, more philosophical explanation that you know the kaporet is representing you know something shamai, something more transcendent, too holy. We don't have a measurement. It's like you know we don't want to put a, a quantity to it or something like that. But in terms of but shot wise, it doesn't say why. Now, so Ravuna says, you know why, where we get the idea of tefach? Not from this idea of learning it out from the misgeret and it's the smallest thing. No, it's a different. It says that when the Kohen Gadol um, sprinkles blood towards the kaporet, it says he does it kaporet, on the face of the kaporet. What does on the face of the kaporet mean? Right? And a face can't be less than a tefach. It says a person's face will not be less than a tefach. My face is a little bit bigger than a tefach, I think, but I guess a person's face will not be. I tried to measure it, and when I saw that, I said. But anyway. But, but, right, panim, yeah. So it says tefach. Now, it says. Bar yochni is a very large bird that has a very big face. So why don't we say that that's what it means, Panim? Again, we'll say, If you try to take too much, you get nothing. Meaning we take the minimum that a Panim could be. It's a Tefach. Okay. Some small bird. I don't know. I'm not sure. You have to ask a... The first one, the Bar Yuchni is a big one. It's just saying the word Panim means a certain amount, a certain something, something, a Panim. Right? So if, it, if it's as thin as a razor, you wouldn't say it has a panim. Right? It has to be something. So, so therefore, it's saying panim uh, is a tefach. So it says, well, why not a giant face uh, a, a bird? No, well, th- we're not going to go for a giant. What about the tziparta dezuta tuva? That's a tiny, what about tiny bird face? Right? Right, hummingbird, exactly. So, Ravuna is not just picking the smallest idea of Panim. He's making a Gzerashava. Right? In other words, he's saying that it says Pnei Kaporet and it says Pnei Yitzchakavit, meaning it's a human face. And the smallest human face is a Tefach. So therefore we use tefach. Now, what about the idea of Pnei Elohim? Now that would be like infinite. I don't know, that would be uh, not, not measurable, right? The Pnei Hashem, right? There's not really something that we can measure. But he says, again, we're not going to learn from a Panim that we is immeasurable and infinite, obviously. We're going to go with the human face. Okay, what about the Kuvim? Didn't we say that... Uh, uh, the Pnei Kuvim are, uh, why, why can't we learn from the Pnei Kuvim, which are, which the Rashi says, Dezutre mi tefach, which are smaller than a tefach. We should learn from the Pnei Kuvim. Amar avachabar Yaakov, gemiri, en Pnei Kuvim, pchotim tefach. The reason why we don't learn from there, or we don't need to learn from there, it doesn't make a difference, is because the Kuvim's faces were also a tefach. So meaning a tefach is the minimum for panim because it says penea kaport that must be a tefach. Now Ravuna nami me'achagamir. And really Ravunak also learns from there. He doesn't have to go to penea yitzchak aviv. He could just go to penea kuvim meaning the minimum of panim to say that something has a face. It has to have some height, right? So it's saying panim means if I'm going to say that there's a face of the kapor, then I'm talking about I'm facing it from the side. So there must be some height to it to say that it's a panim and it's a tefach. Now, the question, so now it says, umay kruv. What does the word kruv mean anyway, by the way? Incidentally, nothing really to do with this discussion. It means like a child. That it means a baby face. Okay, because a Yanuka, a child, is called Ravya. So Kuvi means child. 
What about in the vision of Yechezkel where it says, one of the, that when it talks about the different faces that Yechezkel saw, saw in the chariot and the Merkava, one of them that he saw looked like a kruv, and one of them he saw um, looked like a person. So according to this, that a kruv is just a child's face, so it's the same face, then a human face and a kruv face is the same. So it says, he said, It means that he saw one big face, one small face. In other words, the face of Adam means an adult face. And the face of a chi- of a kruv means a baby face. Okay. Now, that, so that's that for the first interpretation. And the first explanation is that, um, or, or the two, first two explanations, I should say. The first one that we get ten tfachim from the height of the Aron. The Aron goes nine tfachim and then the Kaporet adds another tefach for ten tfachim. Second explanation was, uh, and, and then the question within that rather was, how do we know that the Kaporet was a tefach? Right, so there were two interpretations of that. One was because the height of the minimum height mentioned in any vessel in the Beit Hamikdash was a tefach, so we assume it was a tefach. Or because it's described as penea kaporet, it must mean that it has at least a tefach because the word penea always means a tefach. So we have two. Ex- but basically, these are all the first interpretation, which is that we get the ten tefachim from the kaporet. Right from the height of the Aron, the only question was, where do we get that the Kaporet adds a tefach and not more than that or less than that? And that's what we had to determine. But now we say another question, which is, How do you know that when it comes to sukkah, we're talking about ten tefachim, how do you know that it means that the airspace has to be ten tefachim? Because according to this, that the Kaporet is the tenth tefach, I'm sure you, you were definitely thinking about that, right? I could see you nodding, you were thinking it, right? So, it, so once you're going to say the kaporet is the tenth tefach, so maybe that means that only nine tefachim, because the top tefach is the cover. So you'll say that the schach could be the tenth tefach, and maybe only nine tefachim of airspace inside. Ah, ella, rather we have to discard that. We have to learn it from the Bet Hamikdash. It was sixty amot in length, twenty in width. It was thirty amot high. So it was quite tall, right? Now, one of the things that Shlomo Melech did was, these are not the kuvim of the Aron. They, uh, uh, Shlomo Melech added like a lot of decorations and art, basically, in a way, to the Beit HaMikdash. And one of the things he made was he made kuvim, two kuvim on either side of the uh, Kodesh, that were, yeah, that were very tall. Like they were 10 amot tall, okay? So they were 15 feet approximately, you know, tall, these Kruvim statues. They were made of wood and they were covered with gold. It wasn't considered an idol because it was part of the decor of the Beit HaMikdash, but they do discuss this whole issue of how we could do that. But in any case, they made that as part of the decoration. And the point is that they went up to 10 amot in height. Now, you'll notice that that means you see that these Kruvim that are standing on the ground, they reach up to a third of the height of the bait, because the bait goes up. In other words, the actual b- building goes up to 30 amot, and these kruvim reach up to 10 amot, so that's one third. So also the kruvim that were on the Aron reached a third of the height of the Mishkan, meaning that since we see so whatever the kruvim were up to, we have to assume that was one third of the total height of the Mishkan, just like in Shlomo Amelech, which obviously was much taller, because it was, it, was, so it was 30 amot. They're saying that was the tradition. They're not assuming it. I mean, they're taking it. They're saying the tradition is just like there, the kuvim were one third of the height. They reached one third of the height. So too, the kuvim on the Aron were one third of the height of the uh, of the Mishkan. That's what we're saying. It now. The qu- right. right. 
Of the not including the thickness of the tall, right, right. That's what that's what they're saying. Yeah. So now, but it says Mishkan Kamahave Eser Amot. So how tall was the Mishkan? It was not thirty Amot. It was only ten Amot. Dichtiv Eser Amot Or Chakarish, because we know that the height of the of the wood that went around was only ten Amot tall. So therefore, therefore what Kamahave Lehu Shitin Poshche. So the question is that if that's the case, Shitin. So that means that, uh, that if we're looking at, uh, right, we're looking at tfachim. So tfachim are uh, six per amma. So if we're going to have, uh, if we're going to measure it in terms of tfachim, we have to change the measurement from amot to tfachim. And if we, and if we change the, uh, um, if we say that, uh, if, we, if we translate it to tfachim, we're going to get a srim poshchei dal asara daron vekaporet pashulehu asara. Right, so in other words, if we're going to say that there are 60 tfachim, the height of the Mishkan. And we know that the Aron from bottom to top is 10 of those Tvachim, right? So that means from the top, from the Kaporet to the height of the Mishkan is another 50 Tvachim, right? So we really need, and if we're going to say that it goes up to the height of, of a third of the Mishkan, that means another 10 Tvachim of height to make it a third, right? So therefore, what are you going to have to say? You're going to have to say that therefore, um, so you're going to have... Um, where was I going? What's a third of it? Twenty tfachim is the is going to be the a third of the height of the mishkan. Dal asara daron vekaporet pasulu asara uchtiv vayu akuvim porsek nafaim lemala sochim mechan veyamala kaporet right kariyach manas chacha lemala measara. So what do you see from that? So now we're moving up, so to speak. Originally we wanted to say that the aron and the kaporet were the measurement of ten tfachim. Now we're saying no, no, no. Actually, the kuvim are ten tfachim tall that are on top of the aron. They're ten tfachim tall because we know that they have to reach the twenty tefach mark in order to count as um, in order to count as a third of the uh, of the height of the mishkan. And we see that their wings are above sochechim. They are like the word schach, right? They're covering over the kaporet, and it says it's lemala, porsek nefaim lemala, which means that they're slightly above the head of the of the kruv. The kruv's head is they're assuming now the kruv's head is at the twenty tefach mark. Okay, so therefore the wings are slightly above that, and that would mean that the wings are over an airspace of ten tefachim, because it's saying that the wings are over them, meaning that the wings are over the kruv. The kruv is what is. Is, is ten tfachim tall. So the wings are covering over a space of, of, of ten tfachim because the Kruv's body is ten tfachim. So that, so iloi kaimi. How do you know that the wings are above its head? Maybe the wings are, are at the same level of the head. And just like the head is ten tfachim tall, maybe the wings are only ten tfachim tall and that would again leave us with only nine tfachim, let's say, under the wings. How do you know that the wings are higher than the head? Because it says they're above. They're above the kruv. Oh, but if that's true, so then maybe it's ten tvachim over. How do you know how high above the head of the kruv it is? Maybe it's three tvachim tall and there's actually twelve or thirteen tvachim under it. How do you know? It says, no, it doesn't say lemala lemala. It just says lemala one time. Lemala means right above. So since the wings were right above the head of the kruv, the kruv's head was ten tvachim tall. That means that the wings are covering an area of ten tvachim because it says sochechim that they're covering. So therefore you see that they are, that 10th is the measurement. Now the Gemara says, that was very good. 
This entire daf we went down two different roads. First we used the bottom half of the kaporet, then we used the upper part of the kaporet. We've used the tent vachim on the bottom, tent vachim on the top, but all of that only works. This only works according to Rabbi Meir, because Rabbi Meir says that all the tvachim that were used in the Beit HaMikdash were six amat tvachim, and all of our calculations have, I'm sorry, six tefach amot. We've been using the calculation that an amat is six tvachim. For all of these calculations, that's how we determined it, because we said the aron was nine tvachim, because it was one and a half amot. And, and therefore one more tefach will make it ten tvachim and so on. We've been going with the measurement of amot being six tvachim. But El Rabbi Yehuda, the problem is that according to Rabbi Yehuda, the kelim, meaning the aron, the shulchan and so on, used a smaller kind of an amah. They used a five tefach amah, not a six tefach amah. And that would mean that the aron actually is smaller. Then aron vekaporet kama haveluhu, Timanya upalga. That would make the Aron only 8.5 amotol because we're saying that really, the, since you're going to say an Amah is only 5 Tfachim, so that means that 1.5 is 7.5. Add the additional Tefach of the Kaporet, you get 8.5. And now, if you're still saying that the Kruv reaches a height of 20 Tfachim, because that's going by the size of the Mishkan, where the, where the Amah is measured by six Tefach Tfachim, six uh, Tefach Amot. So therefore, you're going to have to say that instead of there being a space of 10, there's going to be a space of, uh, of 11.5 Tfachim instead between the Aron cover and the top of the, uh, the Kruvim. Right? So therefore, you're going to have, Pashulu Chad Srayu Palga, you're going to have 11.5 Tfachim there. And you're going to have to say that the minimum size, the minimum height, of a covering has to be 11.5 tachim instead of 10. It's going to ruin everything. So therefore, what's the Gemara going to do? The Gemara is going to do the punt move, right? Of the, uh, yeah, it's the sports language. I'm doing this in honor of the, uh, you know, honor of soccer in Italy, right? Right, so Ema su. So, that, so what are you going to say? Ema sukada havya chad sreu palga. You're going to say sukada has to be 11.5 fachim. We never had that. El Rabbi Yehuda hilcheta gemirila. We go for the for the inescapable, irrefutable position. Hilcheta gemirila. It's just a tradition, okay? Fiddler on the roof. Tradition. That's it. Hilcheta gemirila. The Amar Bichia Barashi Amar Av. As Rav Chia Barashi said in the name of Rav, Shiurin chatzitzin umchitzin halacha lemoshem b'sinai. The measurements of the Torah. Chatzitzin, the laws of chatzitzav, interposition when somebody goes to the mikveh, and mechitzin, meaning things related to mechitzot, the dimensions of mechitzot, as well as lavud and good asik, good achit, all these concepts of extending walls in an imaginary way. All of this is alachal Moshe misinai, an oral tradition delivered to Moshe at Har Sinai, and therefore you can't argue with it. You don't need any psukim. The tent fachim wall is just something that was received as oral tradition, and there's no point in arguing and trying to derive. So according to, for Rebbe Meir, we wanted to, for Rebbe Meir, we showed that you could derive from, a, from psukim. For Rebbe Yehuda, he says that, uh, that, he, that there's no need because it's halacha Moshe misinai. Now the Gemara asks its famous thing, and we've actually seen this, this sugya replayed a few times already in the course of our uh, learning of um, of uh, uh, of uh, uh, of the Shas over the years. The most recent one was in Eruvin. It brought the same exact Gemara that we're about to read, which is Shiurin Deoraitenenu. How could you say that the measurements are not learned from Psukim? They are learned from Psukim. They're not just an oral tradition. The description of all the praise of Israel mentions different fruits. It mentions wheat, barley. Geffen is, is uh, grapes, and it, it talks about figs and pomegranates. Zechemen talks about olives, and it talks about 
about dvash, which is churma, which is talking about the dates, right? All of that, right? All of this pasuk is talking about measurements. How so? Right? So, chita lebaita menuga. So the, the wheat is a halacha that refers to a house that has tzarat. What's the, what's the halacha? We've seen this whole thing before, but we'll read it because we don't remember from a couple of mesechtot ago what we said, right? It's not, it says in the Mishnah, if a person goes into a house that has tzarat, if he's carrying his clothes with him, and he's carrying his shoes and he's carrying his rings, so then, they all become tamay immediately upon entry into the house, right? But the special halacha is that if the person is wearing his clothing, he's wearing his rings, he's wearing his shoes, he becomes tamay immediately. His clothing that he's wearing will not become tamay unless he stays in the house the amount of time it takes to eat half a loaf of bread. That's halacha because it says, Right? It says if a person eats in the house, then he has to also purify his clothing. That's what the, the, the Torah talk, talks about, the person who goes into the house. Um, then it becomes Tamei if the person goes into the house, which is, uh, has Tarat. But then it says, If a person sleeps or eats in the house, then his clothing also becomes Tamei. But, it, but the, the Torah Shebaal Pen interprets that not as meaning literally if he ate or slept in there, but meaning an amount of time that he spent in there will make his, will make his clothing Tamei. So what is that amount of time? The amount of time it takes to eat bread. But what kind of bread? So it says, what is it? It says, only wheat bread because it's easier to eat, right? A person who's reclining and eating, meaning it's the quickest way to eat, I guess, with some kind of a relish or some kind of a, uh, um, a condiment on the bread to make it go down easier. In other words, basically the fastest eating of half a loaf of bread possible is the amount of time, it's called which means the easiest bread to eat with whatever condiment makes it go down easier, butter, whatever, it doesn't matter and leaning and all that. So the point is that chita teaches us the measurement of time that, house, that a house conveys to matzah the clothing of a person wearing it. So uh, why does the pasuk say so? Because when it comes to tumat met, we know that the minimum amount of a bone that can convey tumah from a dead body is etzem kisora, is the size of a barley corn. So that's why it says the word seora to teach you that measurement. And gefen nazir. Very interesting. It says the amount of an, that makes a nazir violate his vow is a kedei vi'it. Now, Rashi here says, a, uh, uh, and Tosfot endorses the Rashi here, because in other places Rashi has different interpretation. Here what Rashi says is, that what it means is even when it comes to solid food that a Nazir eats, he's also not allowed to eat grapes, he's also not allowed to eat grape leaves, right? Dolme, he's not allowed to eat, nothing, right? So if you, if you, right. How do you measure? So normally you would think that if he's eating grape kazayit. leaves, it would be kazayit, because kazayit is the measurement that we use. So Rashi says we don't do that. What we do is we say how much we would take a cup of wine, how much would displace a revi'it of wine from the cup. He says we don't use displacement of water because water is, you know, flows more quickly and will be displaced more easily than wine. Wine is thicker, so it's displaced more, it sticks in the cup more. So therefore he says the amount of grape leaves, let's say that you would put in a cup, a full cup of wine, the, the amount that if it would displace a revi'it of wine, that's the amount of solid grape 
that the, that the Nazir would eat to be violating his vow. That's, but we learn that from the word Geffen. The point is that all of these Shurim we're learning from these words in the Pasuk. Right? now, why does it mention a fig? Because the halacha is that if somebody carries food from a private to a public domain or vice versa on Shabbat, the minimum amount they have to carry is a fig size. That if a person has a hole, we know that an, a, a kli, if it becomes damaged, loses its tum'ah because it's broken, it's not functional anymore. So if it's, and now we say that for a, for a balabait, for an average person, if they get a hole in a vessel that is the size of an olive, so they'll just keep larger items in it. They're not going to throw it away. But if it has a hole the size of a rimon, the size of a pomegranate, they're not going to keep it anymore. They're going to throw it away. So therefore it's no longer going to be tamay. It's going to be considered a broken vessel for all purposes. So the point of mentioning the word Rimon is to teach you this halacha. Okay, so then uh, also it says Eretz Zet Shemen Udvash. At the end it says Eretz Zet Shemen Udvash. The word Zet Shemen refers to olives, right? Eretz Shekol Shurei Kezetim. So the, the, the rabbis say it's a land that all of the measurements are kazait, which usually that's the measurement for everything. Kol And what about the shirim that you just told me that are not kazait? One was wheat, one was this, one was it. What it means? It means It means that most measurements in the Torah are kazait. So that's why it mentions zait and dvash. What about the fact that it mentions the date honey? Like we learned in our last masechet, the amount that a person has to eat on Yom Kippur is the amount of a date. So the point is that all of these measurements are alluded to. They're mentioned. There's a remez in the pasuk to all of these halachic measurements. So how can you say that this is only that we received as an oral tradition and it has no basis in the text? It does have a basis. So the answer is, really? Are you telling me that actually in the Pasuk it's talking about measurements? It's not talking about measurements. It's describing the praise of Eretz Yisrael. What it, it, that, that Pasuk is just a hint. It's not really the source. Nobody would really learn it as a source. It's just describing the Shevach of Eretz Yisrael, the praise of Eretz Yisrael. But really, it's only a tradition. Chatzitzin. What about chatzitzin? You said chatzitzin are only a, an oral tradition, don't have any basis in the Torah. The idea of chatzitzah, that you're not allowed to have anything on your body when you go in the mikveh. That, that's only an oral tradition. There's nothing in Torah. That's not true. Dichtiv. It says that a person has to wash his body. And really, the, uh, the, the pasuk is, um, here is... Uh, uh, which pasuk it's referring to? It should say "Verachatz b'mayim et kol b'saro." Probably is the pasuk that they're thinking of, right? One is "Verachatz et b'saro," and the other one says "Verachatz et kol b'saro." The two pasukim that are like that. So there's an art, there's an issue, issue. Which one the pasuk is refer, which one the gemara is referring to? But either way, it says his flesh has to be washed in the water, right? If it says that his flesh has to be washed in the water, that means there can't be anything interrupting between his body and the water. That's true. But sti- we still need an oral tradition from Moshe at Sinai. Why? Because Lissaro, what about his hair? It talks about Basar, Bissaro. Right? It talks about his flesh, not his hair. What about his hair? If you have one hair that is tied to itself, right? Knotted to itself. So that will be a chatzitza because the water can't penetrate because it ties very tightly, right? If you have three hairs that are entangled with each other, that won't be a chatzitza because they can't tie tightly enough to prevent the water from getting through. But I don't know about two, whether two would be a chatzitza or not. Now, the main point is though that we see from here that that's a, maybe that is the oral tradition about hair. But it says, no. 
The word et bisaro. He has to wash his flesh, but the word et is always extra. The word et means et atafel libsaro. Umaynihu saro. That we learn from the word et bisaro that also his hair cannot have a chatzitza, has to be fully exposed to the water when he goes in the mikveh. So it's, it's from a pasuk, it's not from a tuasha balpeh. Rather, what do we need the oral tradition that's unprovable from the psukim? We need it from what, for what Rabbi Yitzchak said. Rabbi Yitzchak, devar Torah, rubo umakpid alav chotzeetz. Vishayno makpid alav eno chotzeetz. This is a famous halacha that we know that according to the Torah, the definition of chatzitza is that the majority of the body is covered and makpid, and he cares about it. Right, well, assuming, I mean, the Tosafot brings it. Some people say this is only talking about uh, the hair, it's and the, actually on the body, any amount of chatzitza is, is a problem. But we, we follow the, the idea that it refers to the entire body, right? So the point is that, Rubo makpid alav chotetz, v'sheno makpid alav eno chotetz, v'gazual rubo sheno makpid mishum rubo makpid, v'al miyotu makpid mishum rubo makpid. Right, so they said that since there's two qualifications really to be considered a chatzitza according to the Torah, it has to cover most of the surface of the body, and it has to be something you care about. But let's say you don't care about this thing that's on your body. You're going to leave it there. You don't mind leaving it on. So then it wouldn't be a chatzitza either. But they made a They said even a minority of your body that's covered, if it's something that bothers you, that you care about it, you have to take it off. And even a majority of your body, even if you don't care, you have to take it off. Right? So why don't we make a even a minority of the body covered where you don't care about it? Because maybe you'll mix that up with a case where you do care or maybe you'll mix it up with a case where it's the majority so it says no we don't like to make double zerot. since as it is already uh, when the majority of the body is covered if you don't care about that covering you wouldn't have to remove it from the Torah and we're already making a zerah on you that you do and the minority of the body even if you did care about it you wouldn't let's say a fancy ring is on your finger you wouldn't have to uh, you wouldn't have to remove it according to the Torah because it's only a, a minority of the body but we make a zerah maybe you'll confuse that with where uh, where you have both qualifications of it being the majority and also something that is uh, that you're makpid so we're already making a zerah now we're going to go further and say even when both qualities are lacking that it's only the minority and you don't care we're going to be so strict we're not going to go that far and make that zerah so therefore that is really an oral tradition because it doesn't say anywhere that idea of rubo makpid that, that, that the only type of chatzitza that counts is one that covers the majority of the body and you're also makpid on it. And of course, like, like the doctor mentioned, there's some that say, oh, that only applies to the hair. The body is more strict. There's some people that, uh, that, um, that interpret this halakha as only applying to certain circumstances, but we generally assume or they, or they say that the majority when it comes to the hair is measured separately from the majority applying to the rest of the body. Right? There, there are different takes on how this Gemara flows, but the main point is that there's a Torah Balpeh here that is with, that even though the concept that the body has to be exposed to the water is not is not a halacha Moshe Misinai, that's written in the Torah. It says v'chatet but the exact parameters of that are a Torah Balpeh. And finally, we say, what about mechitzin hadamaran? Where it said mechitzin. That mechitzot, the laws of mechitzot, are all, also a, a Torah shebal peh, that they are a halacha le Moshe Misinai. Now, hadnichale Rabbi Yehuda, that's good according to Rabbi Yehuda, because Rabbi Yehuda could not learn it from the psukim. Right, he couldn't learn it from Sukim because since he had a different measurement of tef of ama, that it was only a five tef ama. His the, the whole drasha that we made from the from the kruvim and everything, it won't work for him because it'll be eleven point five instead of ten. So he has to say it's alachal Moshe misinai. But Rabbi Meir, why does he need mechitzot to be alachal le Moshe misinai? El Rabbi Meir, ma'ikalememar. He doesn't need alachal Moshe misinai because he learned from the kruvim ten tefachim as the height. 
So the answer is no. Still, there are so many other halachot related to partitions that are not derivable from the Torah, such, such as lavud, that if you have a space less than three tvachim, it's considered sealed. Or like we talked about gud asik, that if you have walls and you're on top of the roof, you can imagine that they extend upwards. Or you can have gud achit. Sometimes you have a situation where you have three walls and you have a roof and you can imagine that, the, that, 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 you know, that walls uh, fall, come down. Or you have dofen akuma, you have a, a wall that's a little bit too far away, you imagine that it's bent um, in, a, in, a, in a different way. So all of these halachot are halachal they're not written in the Torah, they're not alluded to in the Torah, and for that, everyone would agree you need Torah Shebal Peh to elucidate it and to explain it and to, you know, to substantiate those halachot. And therefore, we do need Torah Shebal Peh, we need oral tradition for the laws of Echitah, even if we're able to derive the minimum amount, the minimum height from a Pasuk, the rest of it we wouldn't be able to derive.